0: As you do that, I'd like to um, introduce to you a guest speaker this morning who is going to come and share his testimony, a powerful testimony of God at work. And um, so would you welcome Steve Schmidt with, with me? Hello, everybody. Steve, uh, Steve, if you don't know Steve, um, he is, he's an evangelist. This guy, um, when we were back at our other building, he was uh, a part of leading the food pantry ministry. Um, he has been instrumental in launching Laundry Love across our church and in our community groups. And now he's leading uh, teams of people from our church every month down to Skid Row. And just a heart for, yeah, absolutely. A heart for the homeless, a heart to see people really set free. And, um, and that comes out of who you are um, and, and your own life story. And so, Steve, we're looking forward to hearing some of that and, um, and being challenged by it. So thank you for Well, being after hearing that, me. I'm
1: done. <laughs> so thanks, John. I was going to say I know about half of you from serving in ministries with you, and I know the other half because I've borrowed money and have not yet paid it back. But that's another <laughs> Sunday. It's on its way. Okay, Jan, write a check. <clears throat> so um, so I've, been, I've been coming to Antioch. New Hope, Sunrise, for about 16 years now, and uh, I'm going to give my testimony, and uh, John, Pastor John asked me, uh, I gave it, I gave my testimony at another church about three months ago, and John met me for lunch, and he asked me if I'd give my testimony, and a long time ago, a long time ago, Jesus told me or taught me that whenever you're asked to give your testimony, the answer is yes, and I'll work out the rest. Um, and uh, my testimony is going to be uh, the path of discipleship that Jesus took me on to bring me out of the addiction of alcohol. And, uh, you know, I used to, when I'd talk in front of groups, I would, just, I would have a hand count. How many people's lives have been touched by addiction? That's not necessary anymore, is it? All right? Addiction has fingers, and it reaches. There's a ripple effect. One person addicted affects a lot of people. And it continues on. And, you know, there's all kinds of addictions, okay? I mean, it's not just heroin. It's not just Oxycontin, which is all over the news, uh, uh, opioid addiction. Um, uh, And and the thing about addiction is where does it come from? It comes from the enemy. John 10.10. Devil comes to what? Kill, rob, and destroy. Lies out there in wait, waiting for somebody uh, to devour, it says. That's the word the Bible uses. Um, And addiction usually starts very innocent. I'm going to bring up a little bit of history with our town, Simi Valley. Ten years ago, 11 years ago, we were ranked one of the safest cities in America, right? For quite some time. Bob Brooks always told me it was because of him. (laughs) only kidding. But... Then there started to be trouble in paradise. High school kids were getting in trouble, and the way that came about was they started taking the pain medication that their parents had in their medicine cabinets. High schoolers go to Friday parties, and they started sharing this pain medication with their friends. Got a little buzz going on, right? No harm, no foul. Problem is, this pain medication was OxyContin. Well, once once party drugs become popular, they become expensive, they start selling them. Once the parents start seeing that their kids are coming home a little too buzzed or weird things are happening at home, the parents start removing the drugs. So now you have a bunch of kids from Simi Valley, not South Central, Simi Valley, addicted to opioids, without any source for the opioid. So what happened next? The drug dealers down in the valley in LA said, "Hey, got a problem. There's a market for drugs up in Simi Valley and they don't have any." So the drug dealers started bringing up black tar heroin and selling it to our high school kids at a cheaper price than they were buying the oxycotton. One year, we lost a lot of kids. I was just talking to Pat Montoya who runs not one more and I think a total, we've lost 57 kids over the years to heroin overdoses in Simi Valley. And one year we lost 17 alone. <coughs> the last I heard is this. It seems like it's subsided somewhat, but the last I heard was there was actually a heroin delivery service in Simi Valley where the addicts could call a phone number just like Domino's Pizza and have heroin delivered. <coughs> Something else that comes to mind, we have 50 churches in Simi Valley. I think the churches kind of slipped on this one. How 50 churches can't build a spiritual wall to protect their children, I don't know. But that's just something for us to pray about and think about. Another addiction, I'm just giving you a little variety here, a little taste of what type of addiction. Another addiction that's become very predominant in America is pornography just simply because it's so easily accessible. Starts off innocent. Pretty girl on a picture, on a screen. Click, 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 click. There was a a statistic that came out a few years ago that said seven out of 10 men who attend church regularly struggle with pornography. Four out of 10 women who attend church regularly struggle with pornography. And six out of 10 church leaders struggle with it. What's that mean? That means everybody's human, right? Okay, that just means everybody's human. Starts off innocently, and the next thing you know, here's what addiction does. It will lead you to a very dark place. It will lead you to a very dark place. Here's one thing that I personally found out about addiction. All of our best efforts won't do nothing. There's one thing, one thing. Because where's addiction come from? Addiction comes from the enemy. What's the one thing that's more powerful than the enemy? The Holy Spirit. Right? So we must surrender to Jesus Christ to the whole, and let the power of the Holy Spirit take over and disciple us. My definition of addiction is this. An inability to resist a temptation that is keeping us from living the life that Jesus has meant for us to live. One more time. Addiction is an inability to resist a temptation that is causing us to live the life that Jesus Christ has meant for us to live. It's as simple as that. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care if you're a kid. It doesn't care if you're a woman, student, pastor, um, you know, just a guy. And what is addiction? You know, John mentioned I go to Skid Row. A lot of us go to Skid Row. There's a lot of people living in the Simi Valley in Skid Row. Addiction's bondage, okay? And Jesus has a plan for every individual on how to get that individual, individually, <laughs> free from addiction. So the reason I'd like to give my testimony is this there's always a divine appointment, anytime anybody gives their testimony. So my prayer is this. That somebody out, that somebody that's going to hear me today, is going to hear exactly what Jesus wants them to hear, and the enemy's already put up walls. The enemy's already blocking his ear, but the Holy Ghost is more powerful than that, and that the Holy Ghost is piercing those eardrums, and and that that person is saying, "Yeah, now I was talking." You know, it's funny. You agree to give your testimony, then the week of your testimony, you're going, "Oh, what did I do? That? It's so easy to sit in back." You know, worship with Danny. You know. But this week, I've got three phone calls regarding addiction. One of them impl- involves a brother that's in the hospital with acute appendicitis. The other one involves a marriage that's on the rocks. Two people that got married, they are both come from a recovery background. One of, th- one of the spouses slipped. While, while that spouse was in detox for a week, the other one slipped. Now the marriage is on the rocks, okay? And the other one, he had to do with a rep that works for me in Las Vegas. We were riding around Las Vegas, and he just knew that I worked with the homeless. And he confided in me that he adopted three kids from the same family years ago, and he has a 17-year-old who's doing drugs, living out of a hotel, prostituting herself. That all happened this week. So we need, what does Ephesians 5.11 say? No longer take part in deeds of darkness, but expose it to the light. That's what needs to happen. We just need to expose it to the light. To Jesus, it's all the same. You know, really, to Jesus, it's all the same. He just said, come to me. Come to me. Lay it at the cross. I'm going to show you some things to be free. It's all about freedom. So by me giving my testimony, here's what I hope. I hope that maybe someone gets a better understanding of what addiction is. Not only the physical side, and the, there is a physical side. You get to DTs. What are DTs? Detoxification, tremors. Or as some people say, the shakes, okay? That, the, just, the fa- just the fear of going through withdrawal keeps so many people in addiction. Just the fear of it. And as soon as we fall into addiction, we lose, we, we quit hearing the Holy Spirit. So I hope that someone not only gets a better understanding of addiction, not only the physical side, but the spiritual side, because no matter what physical attributes are attached to addiction, it's a spiritual situation. It's got to be handled spiritually. I hope someone that is experiencing a loved one or someone that they're close to who is addicted will come out of this with a little more patience It's frustrating, yes, my wife. It's frustrating to be around someone that's addicted. And the thing about it is it's harder on the person that's not addicted because the person that's not addicted is straight. The person that's addicted is usually under the influence of something, right? But the problem is is that we don't see that addicted person in the middle of the night when they're curled up in a fetal position craving the thing that's killing them. We do not deliver people. The Holy Spirit does. We don't do it. The Holy Spirit does. Got to turn it over. Easier said than done. So what? The Holy Spirit is what frees us. And then I hope people gain a few new tools that have worked effectively in my life and maybe can work effectively in your life or your loved one's life. Um, For me, that was scripture. Scripture. And um, there's many ways. Like I said, Jesus has an individual plan for every individual regarding becoming or living the life. What, like I said John 10.10, right? The devil came to rob, kill, and destroy. What did Jesus come for? That we may hit Mike? Boy, that guy's good. I'll tell you, that guy's good. I'll tell you. He was reading it. Um, anyway, so. My journey started on September 7, 1993. I was living in the streets of Palmdale. I was homeless. A few months prior, I had been evicted out of my house in Arcadia, California. About six months prior to that, my wife filed for divorce, left me, taking our four-year-old son. I had just lost a ten-year career job with Makita Power Tools where I was the youngest executive in the country. I was managing a $70 million a year region. And it was because of alcohol. My boss teared up when he let me go, but he couldn't put up with it anymore. Now that brings me to the first person that the Lord put in my life. I love testimonies because what lets you look back over Your life, your walk, and you can, in hindsight, we always see it in hindsight, but you can see where Jesus specifically put people, specifically, down to that time, puts events and places, specifically puts scriptures in front of you to bring you along. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. During the midst of it, we're impatient. We want drive-through recovery, man. Give me a burger, give me a shake, and give me freedom, you know? And it don't work like that. (laughs) So anyway, my sister Donna, she goes to this church, and uh, uh, she had gotten saved many years before, and she watched me succeed secularly. I mean, I was hired by Makita Power Tools out of a hardware store and i just kept getting promoted every 3 years boom 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 she would witness to me i didn't we didn't have a godly upbringing a church upbringing i didn't have anything against god but i didn't know anything about the guy either okay i used to pray to him at times when you know like every other catholic did <laughs> okay it was just routine so anyway i was at the lowest part of my life i was out in palmdale not a good place to be homeless so I called my sister and asked she'd come and get me. And she did. And she came and picked me up, and I was just a beat man. I was helpless. I was hopeless. All these failures were just pouring out through my head. Uh, the, the mind of an addict is very noisy, okay? And it isn't Jesus speaking to him. It's very noisy. So she drove me back to her house in Ventura. Long drive. And that brings the second person that the Lord put in my life. His name is Phil Gleason. Phil was waiting outside my sister's condo. Phil had come from an addictive background. Um, Phil was the guy that the Lord was going to put in my life, that every time I failed, every time I stumbled, every time I blew it, every time someone kicked me out, Phil would take me in because he got it. He didn't enable me, but he supported me. So Phil met me outside of the condo. And um, he asked me if I wanted to give my life to the care of Jesus. Yeah, sure. I just knew I was tired of living the way I was living. So he led me in the sinner's prayer. I, actually, I don't think they were going to let me in the p- condo until I said the <laughs> sinner's prayer. But <laughs> Steve, you want the keys? Come on. You got to say that prayer there. Um, so anyway, he led me in the sinner's prayer. And uh, my sister had an extra room, she hit, bought me a Bible. Uh, the Christian radio station at that time was KDAR 98.3. So she set the radio station on that. I think she super glued it. But uh, <laughs> in, anyway, so uh, I had a place to stay. I had a church to go to. I had KDAR. I had a Bible. Uh, now what? Now what? I started listening to KDAR. I'm going to tell you something. Thank God. I have fell in love with Jesus immediately. I did. I didn't know who he was, but I fell in love with him. There was a peace that came over me. There was a comfort that came over me. There was some kind of feeling that I was in the right place. And uh, listening to Kedar, I kind of gravitated towards Charles Stanley with his nice southern grand. Yeah, he's got a soothing voice, you know. Listen to me now. Uh, and, uh, and I like Chuck Swindoll because he's upbeat and, you know, uplifting. And, and uh, I would listen to sermons day in and day out. I wasn't working, and I, you know, I would record them on a cassette deck, Jordan, um, and uh, we had those back then. Uh, so I started going to church. I jumped right into Christian Twelve Step Overcomers Outreach. Got together with some brothers. That's basically where you use the Twelve Steps of AA with correlating scriptures. I remember the first time I read Psalm Forty. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the miry pit, and he set my feet upon a rock. And he put a new song in my mouth, right? Well, my problem was I kept slipping off the rock, but that's another story, okay? So anyway, I I got into Christian 12 step. And then I was reading the Bible. I wasn't really making much sense of it. But if a scripture kind of spoke to me or kind of made me turn my head, I'd write it on a post-it and stick it on the wall. And over the course of time, I had all these post-its, right? But the Bible might as well have been Greek because I was trying to tie it together as a story or, you know, something like that. Then one night I was reading the Bible and I read a scripture and it stopped me in my tracks. And I said, this book might have something for me. You can put that scripture up here. So that scripture was Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, later on, however, it'll bring about a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are well trained by it. It said everything I was feeling, it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't, it was painful. I still had all the guilt and shame working on me. That doesn't go away overnight. And it says it's gonna take training. But it also, Jesus gave me a promise of righteousness and peace. And remember what I said about peace. An addict's mind is screaming at you. The enemy is telling you, you don't deserve anything. You blew it. You're never going to see your son again. Blah, 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 blah. Okay? That was around 1993, 1994. They were doing the big promise. Who remembers Promise Keepers? They were doing the big Promise Keeper events at Angel Stadium and down at the Coliseum, 90,000 people, 70,000, I mean, powerful speakers, E.V. Hill. And I was going to these events, and I was saying, wow. So the Lord was showing me the bigger picture of men meeting together to do a, to better their Christian walk as men. And it was exciting, okay? But I was still struggling, I wasn't struggling every day, but there'd be periods. I'd get two months of sobriety, and then I'd slip, okay? Now, I was going to a great church, Horizon Foursquare. Our pastor, Pastor John, was the associate pastor there. He was fresh out of Bible college, fresh out of Life Bible College. Dennis Easter was my senior pastor, so we had a good staff there. Our youth pastor was Greg Russinger, who's the gentleman that started Laundry Love, they still couldn't get me right. I don't know, but anyway. Um, so anyway, after the '96 Promise Keepers, we broke into what were called four by fours, and four by fours were like kind of what we have in our LTG. It was four men that would meet once a week and discuss their Christian walk on a more intimate level. Okay, it's an accountability group. All right, and that brings in up the next person that the Lord put in my life. His name was Dennis Warren. He's Jordan's uncle. He's Pastor Kim's father. He's a church leader. He's a very mature man. And even though the group had four people in it, every once in a while, you know, a guy would have to drop out because of work or whatever. And But Dennis stayed in there. So I met with Dennis every week at Caro's in Ventura. And he would put up with me. And well, I could ask all those questions that a man doesn't want to ask in public. Uh, but... It it, it was so crucial in my walk to be able to, like, what's this mean? What's that mean? If it works, then why do I keep messing up, right? And he was there, steady Eddie, steady Eddie, steady Eddie. What was he doing? Discipling me. He was discipling me. The Lord put him there to disciple me. He wasn't demeaning me. He wasn't saying you should know that. He was obeying what Jesus was calling him to do. I was obeying by continuing to show up, even though I was struggling and failing. Then the Lord uh, brought another scripture to me to kind of explain what was happening in my life. Go ahead, Harold. And that scripture or, is uh, Romans 12.2. So why why aren't I getting this thing? You know, why, why didn't I, once I said the sinner's prayer and I started having perfect attendance at church, you know, and dressing nice and carrying my Bible. Uh, why wasn't it working? Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, this good, perfect, and pleasing will. Well, as a Christian, we all want to do God's will, right? All right? So, you know, is there a Christian bookstore that sells a book that says how to do God's will, the six, six steps to doing God's will? No, it takes time. But the way to start... Is by not conforming to the patterns of this world. So before I became a Christian, before I said the sinner's prayer, I was of the world. Now, it doesn't mean go be a hermit, because Jesus calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. But what I could do is I could start conforming. So where could I conform? One of the first things where I conform is my language. Language that was acceptable in the secular world was not acceptable. In Jesus' world, I've started curbing my language. Maybe the movies that I watched, okay? Maybe the maybe you know, you know, and maybe I had to go to a little bit to an extreme in the beginning because I was so susceptible to the world, okay? But then no longer conformed to the patterns of the world. And John said it a while ago in a message, he said, start thinking like Jesus, you start acting like Jesus. And my mind had to be transformed, transformed. And it takes time. If you think a certain way for 30 years, it takes a little time to start thinking another way, right? So the simplicity of it's there. And Romans 12 too is a, a vital scripture for me and my growth. So I'm attending Horizon. I'm still going to 12 steps, Christian 12 steps. I'm doing pretty good. Getting about six months here, and then I'd slip and I'd jump right back into it, right? And then this brings up the next person that Jesus put in my life. This is a pretty important person. And to put this person in my life, he even used a little bit of humor. And that's my wife, Jan. So Horizon had a new disciple class called Follow Me. And it was for people who were new to Christ. Well... I was in that class, and Jan was in that class. And because Jesus was discipling somebody like me, he made it so me and her were the only students in that class. So it was me, Jan, and the teacher. Because if he might have put another woman in that class, I might have got confused. You know what I'm saying, right? So, <laughs> so I'm kind of like, hey, that book of Matthew was pretty good, man. What are you doing after lunch? We we'll to get married? Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so that's where I met Jan. And somehow, 18 years later, we're still together. Okay? So miracles do happen. So Jan and I got married. I was still struggling, but I was loving Jesus. I fell in love with worship music. I fell in love with Jesus. I couldn't get enough scripture. I couldn't get enough messages. But I was struggling with alcohol. So Jan and I were married. I'm going to jump ahead about three years. We were living in Ohio, actually Mary Monty, in a single wide trailer. Jan was supporting us. I had lost my license in ni- uh, 1997. Uh, I failed to mention that while I was meeting with Dennis, I got a very good job with the Christian company. It's called GT Water Products. I worked there for three years. As soon as I got on board with them, I soared. I took the, co- or, uh, when I started, they were doing three million a year. In two and a half years, we were up to seven and a half million dollars. And then I fell hard. I just, I just was on a business trip and drank. And I was a binge drinker. There's functional alcoholics who are alcoholic who drink every day but still function. When I drank, I, I blacked out, yet still operated. So I, uh, every time I drank, I got fired. Something bad happened every time I drank. Um, so I, I lost that job. Jan was supporting us. She was working a job down at the Ventura Harbor. We were pretty much getting by little by little by little by little. We were going to a dynamite church called Church of Living Christ. It was the Assemblies of God Church up in um, Miners Oaks. I had a dynamite pastor, James Lair. He was a great man. Well, one day during the middle of the day, I'm up uh, up at the church. I'm hanging out, and Pastor James calls me in his office. And he said, Steve, he goes, listen. He said, I get how much you love Jesus. I see it. I see how much you want to stop drinking. And I see you struggling, brother. And there's something I want you to do. I said, what's that? He said, there's this place called Teen Challenge. I want you to go there. I said, okay, what's Teen Challenge? He says, it's a year-long live-in discipleship program where you will go and live with other people and be discipled on how to know Jesus, how to obey Jesus, and how to live a life in accordance with what the Bible and what Jesus says. I said, James, I appreciate it, man, but you don't get it. That's me. You don't get it. I'm married. I got to get a job, man. I got to get a job. I got to support my family, start, start supporting Jan, and uh, just get my license back. This drinking thing, I can handle it. You know, it'll kick in, bro. It'll kick in. He goes, Steve, listen, number one, you're not going to keep a job unless you do something like this. Number two, you're probably not going to keep your marriage unless you do something like this. That day, I made the most the most important decision in my life. I said yes. So I went to Teen Challenge. Anyone not know what Teen Challenge is? Year, I just explained it. So I went to Teen Challenge. The, the campus was in Riverside, 147 men. It's always at capacity. Started in 1959. It's a free Assemblies of God ministry. I live with the Holy Spirit. I live with the 147 other brothers. We had formal church three times a week. We were, we were mandated to memorize four scriptures a week, which we were tested on. And those scriptures became my weapon, both offensive and defensive. And when I got the team challenge, I felt like I was where I always desired to be. I was 40 years old when I gave my life to Christ, and I'd see John Amstance and all these guys coming out of life, Bible college in their 20s, and I said, Lord, huh, well, I missed the boat. But then he put me in Teen Challenge. We, did, we were in school half the day. We did, we did survey, uh, survey courses like on um, church and the ministry, uh, tents, temples, and palaces on the Old Testament, and I, I, I'd heard everything that I wanted to hear. So I excelled, and I was there for a year. A year later, I graduated, 2002. There was no way that the enemy was going to... Let me go back. While we were there and we were doing memory scriptures, that was 17 years ago. The Lord gave me the gift of memorization on about 15 of those scriptures that I've used in my own life, both offensive and defensive, to stay clean, to stay sober, to stay plugged in, to stay in touch with the Holy Spirit. And I've used them with other people that I've counseled or have worked with. So... I'm going to go over a couple of those scriptures, and uh, these are about six of the 15 that, were, that just meant a lot to me, and I'll just go through them, and if they mean something to you, jot them down, and then research them and look them. So, Hebrews 12, one and 2, "...therefore, since we stand before such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily ensnares. Let us run with perseverance the race marked before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith." who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and took a seat where? At the right hand of the Father, right? So, so I got people cheering me on. And one thing that this scripture so it says, throw off everything that hinders. That was telling me to get rid of the obvious stumbling blocks in my life. Just throw them off. Get, get rid of them. The enemy's going to do sneak attacks. But there's a lot of things that I'm allowing to be there, Right? get rid of them okay and then run with perseverance and perseverance is intertwined through the bible everywhere so it's so when it says run, run the race mark before you run with perseverance race mark before you well it's like a marathon you see i wanted it all right away the sooner i got it all right away the sooner everything was going to be cool and i was going to be a power evangelist and bam 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 right no it's like a marathon there's going to be times there's going to be times where i'm cruising there's going to be times where i'm struggling there's going to be times where I'm a failing. But what's it say? Run with perseverance. Race mark before you. Doing what? Fixing my eyes on Jesus who made me. He's the author of my faith. He's the creator of my faith. And he's the example of my faith because he saw the joy. He saw the victory at the right hand of the throne of the Father. He scorned the shame of the devil when he was on the cross and he endured the pain of the cross. So there ain't no pain that he didn't endure that is going to be any worse than what I might want to go through. What's the next one? Fan favorite. Consider pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for it's a testing of your faith that develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish itself so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But if any of you seek wisdom, ask God who gives generously without finding fault. If there's anything else. Oh, but if you ask, you must believe. For if you don't believe, you'll receive nothing for you're a double-minded man. You're like a wave being tossed to and fro. So once again, this tells me. I couldn't get this one at first. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials. Do I got six minutes left? Holy cow. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Okay. because it develops perseverance. And there's that word again, perseverance. And if I do want wisdom, ask God. He gives generously, he does it without finding fault. He's not gonna condemn me for asking. Go to the next scripture. This one's hardly ever taught, but boy, did it mean a lot to me. Matthew, oh, James 1, 22 and 25. I forgot I put this one in there. Um, the moment of clarity scripture. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Apply it to my life. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law of the Bible that gives freedom and continues it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it will be blessed in all they do. So how many times have we sat in a service, a Sunday service, where the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, the pastor is speaking to us, the Holy Spirit is moving in us, and we clearly see as us as Jesus sees us. And that thing that's in our life that's been a stumbling block forever and ever and ever, Jesus gives us a clear way to handle it in our lives. And then we go out and we walk outside the doors of the church, and there's the world. Chaos, confusion, bills. arguments, whatever, right? And we forget what we heard. And it's telling me, I got to apply to my life what the Lord tells me through pastors, through reading the word, through sermons I hear on the radio, not forgetting what I heard, but doing it. Go to the next one, please. This one is the red print. This is Jesus talking, and it's not taught very much. Um, but it, it's a real powerful. It really explains a lot. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking a place to rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go and live there. And that final condition of that person is worse than the first. When I give my life to Christ, and I ask him to forgive me of my sins. He lifts all that weight off me, right? My body is my temple. So when all those burdens and all that guilt and all that shame's released, I have an empty temple. And that's what it's talking about. And I have to fill that temple. I have to fill that temple with the power of the Holy Spirit because the enemy is going to come back. Even in the book of Luke, when Jesus is tempted by the devil... And he resists the last temptation. It says, and Satan departed until a more opportune time. That's right. So it's, that's where it told me. I just can't ask for forgiveness and expect everything to happen. So next scripture, please. Great scripture. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine powers to demolish strongholds. Therefore, we demolish every argument, every thought, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus Christ that gives me authority over the enemy through the power of the Holy Spirit. That when he starts putting thoughts in my head and starts telling me who he thinks I should be, I can take that that thought and that pretension and I can say, I can deny it and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. So those are a few of the scriptures that I found valuable for me. So, after I got out Team Challenge, nothing was going to t- touch me, right? Power of the Holy Ghost. Graduate, right? Graduate here. For, the thing about it is when you have graduate on the front of your shirt, you got a target on the back. I got rehired by the same company. That doesn't happen. Took business up to Canada. We were soaring again. Lasted about eight months, and then I slipped hard. And here's how it happened. I was on my way back from a business trip in Toronto. 1130 at night, I was on the shuttle coming from LAX. Apartment was on the left, grocery store on the right. had the shuttle driver drop me off at the corner. Went and bought a bottle of vodka. Don't know why. I do know why. Went home. Woke up four days later. Office manager knocking on the door. Lost the job again. I was devastated. So I slipped. Let my guard down. Jan went back up north to live with a friend of hers. I moved in with my sister and started attending Sunrise. Though I slipped, though I fell hard, fell hard, and um, felt like I got hit like with a Mike Tyson punch, there was something inside of me. The work that Jesus did in Teen Challenge was still there. I immediately checked into a sober living home. July 31st, 2003. I lived there for six months, and I haven't drank since that day. So, Jan's up north. I'm living in a sober living home, required to go to two AA meetings today. I got a job at Terry Lumber making $10 an hour selling lumber and riding my bike, stealing my license back, and uh, things are fine. Then that brings up the next person. Am I, yeah, I could do it in four minutes. You got it? Buy a little time? <laughs> holy, holy ghost. Holy ghost. That's what I'm talking about, right? Um, so, that brings up the next person out of the blue, a lady named Lucy Salisbury. She went to our church, and she was the office manager at Alpha One, a temporary placement place. Somewhere along the way, I gave her my resume. She calls me at Terry Lumber. She says, Steve, I, got a co- I, was, I sent your resume out, and I got a company that wants to talk to you. I said, yeah. <laughs> I didn't remember giving it to you. She goes, it's a company that's out in Valencia, right up your alley in your industry. It's a company called KBI, King Brothers. I said, Lucy, I don't know. I got my sober living home here. I got my work here. I got my AA meetings here. I'm pretty safe," she goes. "Steve, listen, the Lord's speaking to me on this. I want you to. I want you to do this one." I said, "I don't even have a sports coat." She goes, "I'm buying you one. You can pay me first paycheck." <laughs> Strong woman. I. She goes, "Come up and look at their website." I went up and looked at the website. <laughs> there was a, the mission statement was a verse out of First Peter. So. I'm at the sober living home praying about this job interview. Like, you know, Lord, should I do it? Should I stay safe? Is this something you want? He says, when are you going to stop denying me? I knew exactly what he meant. When you're, when you're applying for a manager or executive position, you can't have holes in your resume. I had holes in my resume. I had holes in my life. I had holes all over the place, okay? And I, what I would do is stretch the job periods out to fake it, right? So I said, what the heck? I mean, you know? I put Teen Challenge on my resume. I revised it. Riverside Christian Life School, Teen Challenge. So I went to the interview. And I also prayed that Bob would overlook it, okay? So so he's looking over my resume, and the first thing he says, what's this Riverside Christian Life School? I said, well, Bob, (laughs) good question. I said, that's a one-year live-in discipleship program for people with life problems. And my life problem was vodka. And it's not my life problem anymore. He says, wow, that's an interesting ministry. I have to check into it. Turned out that he had been, he, he was an elder at John MacArthur's church for 20 years. That this company used its profits to build 40 boys and girl clubs in Peru to get them off the streets. That he was an avid believer. And I went to work for him. And I got a job as a national, uh, as a vice president of sales. And I start getting sent to Chicago and Boston and Orlando and Philadelphia. And I immediately started street witnessing. The Lord showed me my gifting, street evangelism. Why did he choose street evangelism? Because he's God, okay? I wasn't about to argue with him anymore, right? Okay? That led to James Kraft. Sean was running the food pantry. Sean was moving into a new season. James asked me to take over the food pantry as ministry leader. I said, yes. Five years we fed hundred twenty hundred fifty people every Monday night, then we had to, then we had to give up that wonderful fifteen thousand a month lease, thank you Wally, uh, and uh, move here. but we had to give up the ministry, moved it down to community church the next week they were serving that many people, and they're doing it to this day. Eight months but God doesn't close the door without opening a door. Eight months later in our new building, Pastor John Looney. Takes a group down to, no, it wasn't in our new building yet. Takes a group down to the Dream Center, and we go to a housing project called Ramona Heights, right? Well, on the way home from the, the we were partnering with the Dream Center. On the way home, I just felt the Lord saying, next time go to Skid Row. So I ran up by some people who went. And ever since then, we've been going to Skid Row. Will you run through those pictures real quick? We got 20 seconds. So this is Skid Row. That's Dolores. She lives in a refrigerator box. Go. That's Skid Row is about 95 that day. Next. 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 This is Skid Row. 6,000 homeless people living on sidewalks downtown. This was despicable the day I took that picture. Tell me when you're at the end of that set. That's what we do. Okay, this see the, go back. Oh, boy, out of time. See the police car? Looks like those guys are robbing him, right? The police just manage Skid Row. They don't arrest or anything. That guy was passed out in the middle of the road. The policeman stopped and said, get him off the road or I'm going to take him in. So they were helping him. What we do at Skid Row, we don't take Bibles. We don't take sermons. We take kindness. We take compassion. We take love. Good, go to the next one. This is also Skid Row, and we're going to go through them (laughs) fast. See, I told you, no matter how much time you give me, I always get along. Prayer, Victor, there's Trey, right? There's Jacob, Armando. That's me giving some McDonald's out to the, there's our crazy team. That's me and, hang on here, that's Dora. She was a teacher in the Detroit school system for many years. That's Jamie. She was on crack. She came up to me out of nowhere a long time ago and said, "Will you pray for me to stop smoking crack?" Bob, go ahead. So we take happiness too. Do you get it? Hey, wait. Stop here. Daryl. Daryl's a warrior on Skid Row. I remember I went to his I went to his community group and talked about Skid Row, and the whole group. The whole group doubled our team size all in one week, and they've been going ever since. thing about Daryl, one night, one day I was on Skid Row. Excuse me. He was, man, this guy was heavy in prayer. So I went over to see what Daryl was praying about, right? It turned out Daryl was trying to sell a guy a Honda. (laughs) I don't know if he got delivered. All right, there's Eric. Eric, that's Coco. Is that it? So. It took 10 years for me to stop drinking once I gave my life to Christ, and it's been 15 years since. The Lord didn't waste one minute. He didn't waste one minute because the 15 cents I've gotten delivered from alcoholism have been well worth the 10 years I went through being discipled by Jesus Christ. Thanks for letting me share my testimony.
0: Amen. Thank you, Steve. Amen. It's pretty awesome. You know, um, there's a couple things that were threaded through his testimony that stood out to me. Many points of surrender. A lot of relationships that came into his life that helped guide him. That takes opening ourselves to relationships, right? and then the power of the Word of God to transform someone's life. What I love about Steve's testimony is that walking out this thing called the Christian life is not rainbows and unicorns. We are real people that struggle with real things in our world. We're bombarded with cultural values and things that are, we have to process. We have to be like the, the Romans passage that he shared, Romans 10. We have to be transformed and not conform to the the pattern of this world. Listen, if you're struggling with something today, or if you have someone that you know of that is struggling with something today, I know that Steve would love to connect with them personally or to connect with you. We have some programs here at the church and some different uh, things that deal with addiction, but if there's something else going on that the Lord has really spoken to you today through something that was shared or a passage that he read, This is the time that God is calling you to to engage in one of those points of surrender and to invite relationships into your life so that the power of the Word of God can transform your heart. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you alone have the power to take a life that is dependent on a substance or dependent on an addiction. And to transform it in a way that brings hope and life to people in our city, to the drug situation in our city, even down to Skid Row. Lord God, only you have the power to change a life in that way. And so, Lord, we just thank you that you transform our hearts, that that you bring freedom where there's bondage. That you bring your love and your hope to us right where we're at. We don't have to be perfect people to engage you. You're the one who comes in and begins to clean house. And so, Lord Jesus, we just surrender to you again today. In Jesus' name, amen.